gonna rock the shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, Stefan Jock. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. Take a look 
Jacques from his brand new release, and we got Stephen on the line right now. Hey, Stephen, how you been? Hey, I'm doing great here in uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains in Charlottesville, Virginia area. It's, uh, great to hear your voice, and uh, I really appreciate what you're doing for musicians all around the globe. Wow, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, uh, you've been on the show before, and we always do like to start by giving our fans the opportunity to get to know who you are, both as an artist and as a person. So the best way to do that is through your journey. So give us the story of Stephen Jacques. Well, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and... You know, growing up in the 70s in Richmond, I had a, a, we were listening to Beatles, Stones, Elvis Costello, all that stuff. So I had some good musical influences in my family because my my aunt was a blues singer and my grandfather 
Italian grandfather from the New York area was a multi-instrumentalist back in the Roaring Twenties. So I did that, but I was an engineer throughout my career. And then um, always watched so many great bands. In some ways, I never did music because there was so much great music coming at me in my 20s and 30s that I, you know, sometimes I was probably thinking, I don't know if I can do that, but I was always, I started playing my, learning the the Yamaha acoustic guitar from my friend David Wood, who became, later became an art historian, and he was very artsy, very artsy town Richmond, Virginia is, so I, I learned the acoustic at age 16, but it wasn't until years later in my late 40s that I actually wrote some songs after the real estate market had crashed in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I was a builder. So that was Mark Graham of the Sound Studio, who had worked with Stevie Wonder when he was in Los Angeles and many other people in Nashville. So he was my first producer in Charlottesville, and here I am many years later. I've moved back to Charlottesville, so kind of came full circle, but um, worked many years in Richmond, I guess six or six, about six years with the producer Alan Weatherhead, who moved from Wisconsin to Richmond. So, you know, that's kind of the musical journey of that. And then a recent release was Groove Atlantico, the record Groove Atlantico that was produced uh, by recording engineer Steve Albini in Chicago. Okay. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit um, about the new release. Uh, When you were putting this together, what was the inspiration that drove this into existence? Well, I think I I had taken so many trips, um, and I was thinking about what is it. You know, when you're doing a record, you do try to think about a common theme, but sometimes they're all over the map, right? So... These I've done. I've generally done alternative rock love songs. So, Groove Atlantico kind of looks to the Atlantic. Uh, I say for an inspiration, but it does have some uh, inspiration from the sea and from the coastal uh, states and countries that face the Atlantic. Um, but it has a, a variety of, of songs that are. Again, like I said, and then there was a, so I did a European tour and a Canadian tour, um, and I was in Costa Rica. So from the trip, I was inspired by different people I met in different towns I went to. There was Weird Iceland Hotel Dinner with a song, <laughs> and um, uh, Where'd My Surfers Go? So, um, you know, so the inspiration, and the main thing, Richard, is, with the writing of the songs, I don't rush anything, and it's kind of effortless because I'm letting just whatever flows just flow. And I, whenever I run across something that's a good little jingle in my head, I'll I'll strum something and then record it into my iPhone for later. And then, so for me, it's always that melody that comes first, and then the lyrics later. Um, but I've just been, this is going to be my 12th record coming up. I'm getting ready to record with Steve Albini again in Chicago. And I, you know, I don't know where it was all stored up, but the writing of the songs has been pretty easy um, and flowed. So I've been very 
blessed and very fortunate that you know when the writing process takes place i'm not frustrated or fighting it very hard there's a lot of editing but usually the songs uh flow pretty well but with the common thread of naming a record right there there is um you know like look at the stones with sticky fingers or some of these names of records that they just need a rec released a record called hackney hackney diamonds um what does that mean right so if you look at the song titles a lot of times you're perplexed as to you know where's the common thread um but the inspirations for the song definitely came from a lot of touring in europe costa rica canada and the united states okay now um let's talk a little bit about you you had mentioned that you used your cell phone to kind of capture those ideas what are some of the other technological advances that have been brought to the songwriter that have made it into your toolkit um and become indispensable to you as a writer huh i, I think i'm a little low tech um for me, um, mine's a pretty simple, basic process of kind of almost trial and error, just a lot of time spent with the acoustic guitar. Um, you know, the biggest thing that's helped me, that I can actually say, is getting a break be be between writing songs and grabbing the guitar, right? So I'm not rushing things, or there's not a time to do it, but technologically mine is pretty simple of just recording something when it comes to mind into the iPhone and then so when we get into the recording studio this is an interesting question you had too because today I got a text from Jason Narducci our other producer um, in Chicago and he had some arrangement ideas and he listened to the little video clips I sent him and then he looked at the um, chord sheets right so he's texting me different arrangements, right? And then when we get into the studio, I'll run through it and we'll do it almost like a live band. And um, and then we'll get together on a click track and sometimes we'll, we'll change, you know, the tempo or how we're gonna construct the song. So, but my, but my writing process and the technology of that is pretty low tech. Um, I don't know if I answered your question correctly. Yeah, no, you did. You did very well. Um, now, one of the things I think a lot of artists today have issues with or or have a def have a, uh, trouble defining is what is success in the music industry where, what yeah. is your definition of success and where do you find yourself on that timeline it's a great question i was just talking to somebody today about this um i think if you're happy you're successful right so if we start you know comparing yourself to other people or any of this stuff you're never truly going to be happy i don't think you just have to do what you love what you're passionate about what's meaningful to you um and you know if, if you're going I, I remember hearing an interview uh, you know if you're if you're going after the money and maybe it was david Grohl or somebody else i can't remember because jason had was one of the guys that introduced David to, to music, by the way, is young as it 
into a band years ago, but I think it's um, if you're going after that money, that you know of success, that's not going to work out because it's going after it for the wrong reason. But success, I think, is what did you set out to do? What was your goal? Um, what is what is the reason? What is your purpose for doing this? Um, so. At first, mine was, wow, I have some spare time here. The real estate industry locks up. I'm a, I'm a builder, and I had some time in the afternoon, and then I kind of fell in love with writing these songs, and it was kind of fun in the studio and all that, right? So my joy was completing the project, putting a team together, and for the group of us to really say us, we we really um, achieved what we set out to do, right? Um, but if you open the discussion up to looking at the Grammy Awards and all this noise, and then you're part of that Hollywood scene or Celebrity America, I, I think there's a lot of uh, cliffs you can fall off if that's how you're going to seek happiness is by, you know, um, how many fans show up or how much money you make. So I think the purpose has to be for, and you know, has to give you meaning and purpose. Um, and then these other things that have been taken over by kind of celebrity America and who's the most popular um, is uh, a completely different conversation. Okay. Now, um, Let's talk a little bit about going in um, to the studio. Um, what is what do you like to do uh, when you get into that environment that that helps you get the sound you're looking for? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm really, you know, I'm so fortunate on this question because I've had. Like Steve and Jason have done over three thousand records together, right? So um, I'm looking to look to them for suggestions, and um, I think you know having the consultation and the the oversight of, of somebody like Steve Albini, the legend. Um, you know, I think I think we can feel the flow. I think he can. Give us some comments on what he what he's not going to comment on our song itself, but on the sound itself. Uh, the band members, you know, kind of reach this agreement on how. My main thing, Richard, is to be overly prepared before I go to the studio, and I can. I'm just right. You know, I'm really I've just almost like over practiced it. And then these guys who have. I think most of the guys with me, Chris Diebold and Jason Arduce and these guys, they've played like 4,000 shows each in their life, right? So they're so they're so great and so much more experienced than myself. So I'm just looking for suggestions on the tempo and how some vocals should be expressed. Um, and we just, it's kind of like an organic, natural process. And each team is different. Like with Alan Weatherhead, it's just he and I or John Miranda in Richmond, Virginia at the Sound of Music Studio. It was different. I was a lot of one-on-one with Alan Weatherhead, who was 
amazing multi-instrumentalist too and he was also playing on the record and the producer so the the one right now with jason narducci producing and and uh steve albini recording engineer yeah i think we just we kind of do a live a live thing together where we have bass drums and vocals and acoustic guitar at the same time and then we just kind of reach a common thread in the first couple takes of how the um, songs but they they have so much experience they catch on very fast <laughs> okay now um, let me ask you this one one of the big uh, buzzwords in the industry today is uh, artificial intelligence um, the fact of the matter is AI is here uh, is going to affect all of our lives, some to the better and some t- not so much. But for the musician and songwriter, there have been some very interesting tools that have been developed and are being developed that help with lyrics, help with melodies, help with chord progressions, uh, bass lines, drums, whatever. What do you see the impact of AI on the future of the music industry, in particular to those of us who write songs? Yeah, I'm kind of like an old soul when it comes to <laughs> how I see the whole AI thing going down. Um, well, in some ways, I mean, I want everything to be as human as possible. Um, just like people take a fashion magazine person takes a, a photo of somebody and then they airbrush and it's no longer the person. Um, I think the technology technology can be in some ways a little scary anything that takes away from the authenticity Richard or whatever's genuine heartfelt authentic the real real thing um, but I know I've, I've heard these things on TV and heard some podcasts um, I guess I would be a little more anti-technology because I'm kind of an old school old school person Um I'd like to hear what Willie Nelson had to say about that, actually. Um, but maybe it's going to be, maybe it's also super cool, too, that people can do that. But I think the human element in the human voice and the imperfections that you hear in a song make them so beautiful, oftentimes, and make us so human. Um, you know, and it doesn't airbrush the music so to speak so I guess you could say I would probably be I would probably not be a proponent of that whole world okay well you know I I look at this technology and I kind of remember the days when drum machines and MIDI first came on the scene and everyone was screaming about you know how you're going to you know suck the life out of music and yada yada yeah. and you know I even played around with uh, some of the uh, lyric uh, AI tools that are out there like you know the one that's on board human and you know things like that and what I noticed was that even though I wouldn't utilize the direct content that was spit out there were gems within the minutiae you know there yeah. you know we as songwriters were constantly looking for inspiration 
in conversations, you know, whether they're direct or overheard, you know, that turn of phrase, that that little thing that, that sparks what we have yeah. in our heads, um, you know, on the Internet, a meme or, or, you know, something that someone put on Facebook or whatever the case may yeah. be. So AI, I look at how it could be used as a tool as opposed to a crutch. Um, you know, back in the early days when MIDI and drum machines came out, there were a lot of producers that, you know, that said, oh, wow, I can I can make music without being a musician by just programming this into a computer and having it spit it out. And there was people that abused it at the time, but then it got into the hands of the creatives and it became tools. Now it's part of every doll you get. It's, you know, you get drum machines, you get synthesizers, you get... MIDI, all of that is part and parcel of what we use. So I see AI as a potential tool for the future. When it gets into hands of someone who's creative, it could be a way to battle that blank page. You know what I mean? Well, I, I guess so. I guess there's some pieces of that that could fit in there um, and actually be, maybe it was save some people some money and be expeditious in some ways too um, but something that's too perfect and too beautiful and too um, that doesn't have some you know I, I, I think I tend I, I like the raw classic genuine human side of recording but if there's you know if it's if there's some efficient and expeditious manner that it can be used to save to save time, and you still can cull and glean from the song the intent of the artist. And it's you know, I, I guess I can see that. Sure, I mean, it'll be it, it, certain pieces of it could be advantageous. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, there. It. It. I think that there is. As it progresses, I think it's going to distill down to a tool, you know, where it, it could be yeah. utilized, you know, not only at, at the writing process, but even at the recording process. You know what I mean? Where, you know, you have AI tools like Ozone 11 that, you know, that helps with mastering um, and Neutron uh, from Isotope that actually has um, different AI voices that you can sing a part and then change it. If you're female, you can change it to a male voice. Or if you're a male, you can change it to a female voice, and and change the you know the the um, the register in which you're singing it at, and create harmonies um, that don't sound like you're doubling up your own vocals. You know, so it's great at the demo stage, but even at the at the production stage for things like that. You know. Well, also, you know, Steve Albini, for example, and this is like the analog versus digital, too, right? So there's a lot of these macro discussions, like Steve is, we're taping analog, right? Right. Versus digital. So there's a philosophical perspective and a all-natural perfectionism perspective on analog and that tape. I actually left that studio 
you know, last time with a box of, of tapes, you know, and then we got it mastered in Chicago. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on this, and they're, you know, looking at Pro Tools and looking at all the different things people have used. Um, but I love the live performance, and I love the anything genuine and, you know, anything that's... I like things that are actually imperfect and not too polished. It, that's, to me, that's the real thing, you know? That's the real deal. Okay. Well, um, one of the things that um, I've been watching in the music industry is... You know, the consumer today has really embraced streaming as a way to consume music. And and recorded music has lost that status of product. Um, and it's really affected the independent artist. Uh, and it's this double-edged sword. I mean, you have access to all of this um, uh, potential market that's out there. But the monetization, the revenue streams are not there. Uh, we're not getting fairly compensated. In fact, you can right. go as far as as saying that this is not sustainable as a business model for the music industry. Um, what do you think needs to happen to change that dynamic? Well, I think, well, can we talk about, we could maybe talk about, that is a big question. And I think the compensation of the artist um, and also the printing of vinyl too, right? So I, so how is the how is the artist making a living these days, right? So touring, and it used to be where you'd go out and pay sixteen ninety nine for a vinyl or a CD or whatever of Stones record or Wilco, whatever, right? So now you've got the streaming, then you've got the, you know, a penny or a quarter of a penny from Spotify. Um, and the bands like Cracker, you know, David Lowry and Johnny Hickman of the band Cracker, they're still touring. Um, and the survival of the music industry by the musician has just become ever, ever challenging. Um, you know, basically free music, right? Um, well, the new Stones record, for example, is free on Spotify now, right? Um, so this, I'm definitely not an expert on this subject, but it is challenging, and they need to up the amount they they paid to the royalties to musicians for these streaming devices, and times they are a change in for sure um, touring and the selling of vinyl and the selling of cassettes and then CDs seemed to be a normal thing back in the 80s and 90s but yeah this is um, I think just there has to be an increase in compensation from the streaming platforms but there are many many of those and I guess it would take court case after court case um, so if you sign off an agreement when you download your music as a musician, you'll say, I'll take any compensation of any type. For example, cdbaby.com, who many of us download through. And so the musician's trying to get 
money from any resource, right? The problem is, is that amount is too low. So it just has to be an increased amount given to the musician, paid to the musician um, in, the, in the near future. I, I don't see any other answer. There's only other one other way to make money is either touring or, or selling vinyl, right? Um, and selling t-shirts on your website or something. Right. Well, you know, um, when you really look at it, um, the it's not only us that has an issue with it. You know, it's the the entertainment industry as a whole. Uh, streaming has affected television industry, the movie industry, the music industry. Unfortunately, we don't have the bargaining power that um, these other industries have. Um, you know, recently we just went through the writers and the SAG-AFTRA strike uh, where they were trying to deal with the fact that, you know, streaming um, has diminished their revenue and trying to get a bigger piece of the pie from these, you know, large um movie studios and production houses uh, and try to get fairly compensated. Unfortunately, we don't have that kind of bargaining power. We have to look at technology and say, okay, where is this all heading to next and how can we get a seat at the table um, to affect the change that we need uh and one of the things i'm watching are these uh streaming services that have been developed on the blockchain which is that technology the cryptocurrency uses and one of the things is that these new streaming services are decentralized in other words nobody can own this service can't be owned by a board of directors a corporation or even a person uh and they're claiming they can give up to 80 percent of the incoming revenue directly back to the artist what do you think of that as a potential for the future really that is a really tough question I actually don't know if I can answer this. <laughs> um, I, I really don't know, actually. Um, you, you know, we are, I think we're at a technological tough spot right now. <laughs> you know? Um, but another thing, Richard, is what position are you in as an artist? Let's say. You're, you own a recording studio and you're touring, right? Let's say you're a guy like me who was an engineer and a builder and real estate investments and all this stuff, and it started out as a hobby, right? And I know other guys who are really well-known and they're still, they still own a painting company or something or a construction company or whatever, and, and they're very well-known, right? So there's big proof out there that even for the people in the top 1% or 1 one-thousandth of percent of national rankings, they still have some other job or side hustle they're doing because they can't rely on the music industry for anything. And then if you put a band on the road and that costs you X number of thousands per week, and then you're not selling the tickets. So unless you're in, if there's 5 million bands in America, you almost got to be in the top 1% high up uh, or just have some really good following and you've really kind of honed in on that niche group 
that you're going after and you arrive in, you know, Sioux City and there's 180 people waiting for you. Um, you know, you just, you have to figure out what formula works for you, but I can tell you this, most of the musicians I know who don't have a studio also have some other mainstay job, right? Something that has some staying power, right? Uh, and it's just diminished over time as far as the compensation to the artist. So um, unless they, there's an up, an increased um, compensation on the streaming side and everything else, I, I really don't know what the, the answer is going to be. Okay. Now, uh, one of the other things is that um, when the pandemic hit, um, I mean, content creation and social media marketing was big prior to the pandemic. But after the pandemic, it really accelerated uh, because it was the only way that we could stay connected to our fans. And the fans started to really gravitate towards that kind of content, that raw authenticity, that almost like a reality show type of content. They felt they could get connected to you on a personal level. You know, when I look at someone like Taylor Swift, who's a genius at it, she's developed this this persona, this brand that uh, has attracted a fan base that's almost cult-like. Um, and the power that she has over those fans, I think, are directly related to the fact that they feel that they know her. That they, they are... Yeah connected to her at a personal level. Uh, what are some of the things that you were doing utilizing content and social media marketing to help you advance your brand and get the word out on this particular release? Oh, not during COVID, but this release. Well, I was doing some Facebook live shows and I was doing I was even doing radio interviews like I would go out into the Bay Area and San Fran and do five radio stations um, and I was doing some Instagram postings um, and doing some live clip postings I think on Twitter and Instagram um, and you know just doing small shows throughout Europe and the United States to small audiences, but yeah, there. I mean, I did, I probably didn't do enough of them, and I've spent so much time in the studio and so much writing time. But to keep in contact, uh, yeah, it was just it was just Facebook clips or Instagram here and there, um, you know, kind of rounding it out. But um, that's um the social media has definitely been in an expeditious way but the Taylor Swift conversation is a completely different thing you're talking about the most successful person perhaps with, along with Nirvana and the Beatles and the Stones and like in the history of music to have a 4.5 billion dollar impact on the American economy I think it even I think a friend of mine even said the other day that it might have affected inflation or, or the economics of you know, 25 cities, but that's, you know, so just like the Kardashians, like what is their talent? <laughs> hate to bring their name up. 
she does have a talent, and these people have branded and marketed themselves. But you're talking about, you know, the other five million bands in America. Um, and by the way, a good chunk of them as talented, but they didn't have the um, the uh, team or thought process and very intricate thinking and almost like pre-calculated but I think there's talent there for sure with this with Taylor Swift but she's also targeted the audience with the breakup songs and this and that where they get the 12 to 19 age group and once they're on board and you're the best of the best it almost crosses lines over to different genres as well and that was also part of the marketing genius of the Swifty theme is that it crosses over a love song or whatever to these separate these other genres where it starts bringing everybody in um, and, and it is you know inviting people to her place for a birthday party or a celebration all of this has been genius marketing um, you know actually inviting 70 fans to her birthday party or something so but again you're talking about the greatest in the country um well yeah i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna look at you know someone's success and say okay what are they doing i mean you go to the top of the echelon and you say okay what of of her marketing can I duplicate at my level to help me go to that next stage? And, you know, utilizing short-form authentic content, you know, the TikToks, the Instagram, things like that, that seems to be uh, extremely effective uh, for independent artists. I mean, you know, there are a lot of them out there that are not at the the Taylor Swift level that are utilizing this effectively um, to establish their fan base and to establish their brand, you know? Yes, I mean, TikTok and these things, but, you know, the timing was right. The age group that she went after and resonated with, um, and then it just snowballed after that, and the rest is history. And you can't, you know, for there's there's so many other talented people like she. I mean, I guess Jewel or so many of these other singers are just as good. But this marketing machine just really was a 10.0 on any given level for everything they did, whether it was the lawyers, the management team, the way they marketed it the way she went on live and on the radio a lot and spoke heartfelt or whatever to her audience. It was, it's almost like one of those one in a million things too. Because I I don't think, I don't think, I don't think all the other artists are doing anything wrong. I think it was just the right place at the right time with the right opening, you know, post Madonna, post Janet Jackson, post Whitney Houston, that she came along and there was this opening and it crossed over to all these different genres of people that actually it appealed to, right? Well, I think but that I was... 
That was what, part of her genius learn? was was the the fact that she didn't restrict herself to a genre. She realized, I think, early on that genres were dead, and that people were listening to music differently. They weren't listening on on an active basis like i i grew up listening uh because right. there's no tactile experience to it i'm not putting a a record on a platter and listening to side a and side b people now are creating playlists that are based on moods or activities or you know something that they're creating is a soundtrack to their particular lives so Genres aren't as important as how is this fitting my mood or or thoughts for that particular you know um, kind of sound that I'm looking for in my music, and also the fact that she's this rebel that when she couldn't get her masters back, she just went out and re-recorded the albums and re-released them to herself. You know, right. so you know that whole you know thing. <laughs> definitely you know is big with their her fan base is that when she puts out a record the hell with the old let's listen to the new one she put out you know of that album yeah sharp sharp business management execution of this example you just gave and being on top of it and being at the right place at the right time and and you're right appealing to like somebody appealing to rock and blues and folky and dance and love song and next thing you know you've covered eight areas you know uh, different than Frank Sinatra right but different than Whitney Houston but and also created some fun and she has great stage presence so yeah but again you're talking about the best of the best and I think a lot of other people have worked just as hard, um, and sometimes some other people have worked a hundred times harder. But that business management, production team, and marketing group behind behind her, and she's still pretty young. Um, oh yeah, have done, the last five years have just been on fire. Oh yeah, without a doubt. But, you, you, but you're right. What can we learn? What can you learn from the best, right? And right. you can't argue with and you can't argue with success, right? No. No, you can only look at it and say how can I apply those principles to where I am on that that timeline, that ladder, so to speak. And each person is, you know, I just saw the Joan Baez movie and I watched all the Bob Dylan movies that were on Netflix and um Everybody's got a different musical journey, and everybody is going to gauge what what is the meaning of success to you. Um, but there's so many people behind the scenes that are not as famous and popular, like, like Alan Weatherhead, the producer, and John Moran, who I worked with, um, who are the people behind the scenes, or you know, not as popular. And those are the people that really make a huge impact in American music. But they're just not as a popular a name. But yeah, the whole Swifty machine is definitely the four and a half billion dollars into the United States economy. It's like a LeBron James type thing, right? <laughs> it's 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 amazing, and it's perfectionism on any business execution platform, any given level. 
Yep, I agree. <clears throat> now, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. Turn it up loud.
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. 
Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make.